So, um, doing a little review today. Today's going to there's going to be a little bit of thinking involved. My apologies, um, and um, some of, there should be some paper at the end of some of the like any, each of these pods here. Anybody notice paper next to you? That means you're the usher. Because we're going to be taking some notes. Some of you, I, I take notes in my phone because if I do it on paper, I'm going to lose it. Um, but we're going to be just doing a little equipping uh, today on reading scripture. So I'm going to do some review. How many of you guys remember? Um, yeah, so how many here, if you're going to take notes, you'd want to use paper? Why don't you raise your hands? And there's pens in that thing. You can pass that around. So you can just pass it around through your section. Um, but if you're a digital person, you know, then, you know, feel free. We'll believe that you're in good faith, not texting. But you're actually taking notes. <laughs> okay, so how many of you guys, how many here remember the beginning of the year we, we did a series called How Do I Know What's True? They remember that? We're just, and so some of you are new to believers, you weren't part of this, but it, it, in short, as asking this question, we're kind of at this moment in history where it's really hard to know what's true, uh, you know, and just try to find a bit of news online, and that, there you go, it's what, what's actually true, what's actually real out there, and the conclusion we came to is that Jesus himself is the truth, is this, that truth is this person, Jesus and that anybody remember how we know Jesus? We have an acronym for this. Oh, yes, REST. Greatest acronym in history, right? At least for us sleepy, tired people. And what that stands for is uh, reason, experience, scripture, and tradition. If you want to know what that's like, look at our series at the beginning of this year. We explain each of these. And over the summer, what we've been taught, we talked about is how do we engage with scripture? Scripture being the most important way that we know this person, Jesus. It's because language is the best way that persons can know one another. And so we talked about how do we know Jesus through Scripture. We are going to be shifting now to tradition. What do we mean by tradition? You have to understand it. Really, another way of saying tradition is just saying church. The church from... Hi, Ali. I didn't get to say hi to you. Welcome to Costa Rica. It's good to see you. Um, the church, not just church presently, but over the last 2,000 years, is the second most important way we have of knowing Jesus. And so last week, Anna started talking about church by talking about everyone's needed. It, wasn't that a powerful message? That everyone here is needed. And, and if one of you said, well, I'm not going to respond because I'm not needed, then obviously you didn't understand. We need you. Every single person is needed in the body. And, and so we're going to continue pretty much for the rest of this fall to talk about church. What is church? And the way we're going to do it is we're going to say church according to Philippians. We're going to ground it. I mean, church is one of those subjects that's like saying we're going to talk about love. You know, it's just massive. And so to keep ourselves focused and also grounded in the biblical text, we're going to do it based out of the 
book of Philippians. I'm going to change the language on that here in a minute. Um, this summer we talked about how to interpret scripture. So the principles we talked about over the summer are the ones we're going to apply to Philippians. We're going to do that together, okay? So that's why there's a little bit, if you want to take notes, this would be helpful to you. What I love how God has made us. We're complex beings, right? And so we're, we're emotional and kind of have this heart visceral piece to us. But we also have a brain and God tends to, he happens to like that he put it there. He's like, why did I do that? What was I thinking? Well, he was thinking. That's why he gave us thinkers. And so we're worshiping the Lord both through our emotive part of us and our ability to think. And what's so important is the two of those aligning. You know what I'm saying? Because then we can fully give ourselves. In, uh, I love how the message translates Philippians 1. It says, Paul's praying that your love will abound. You'll love intelligently and well. It's so brilliant, that thought of loving deeply but thoughtfully. It's really important. So we're going to uh, talk about how to interpret Scripture. We talked about author's intent. Author's intent is anytime we're reading scripture, the most important thing, really in any communication, you want to know what the person who uttered the phrase was actually trying to say. It's really, really important. I was talking about author's intent over the summer, and it shocked me how many people talked it, thought I was giving marital advice. And apparently I was. <laughs> because sometimes things comes out of our mouths that we don't quite mean to say it that way. My wife's name is Kelly. I call her Kel for short, often. One night, early in our marriage, we'd had a wonderful dinner. I'm driving home, and I lean over in the car on the way home to the apartment. I say, I love you, Carol. <laughs> the author's intent was not to say the name Carol. The author's intent was Kel, but the night was still ruined. I don't even know anybody named Carol. At least at the time I didn't. So, but see, the author's intent is the privileged thing here. And that's what we call by the meaning of, a, of any statement is, is what the author's intended message was to the original audience. That's got to control what the thing means, okay? And, and we do this all the time in regular communication. Now, there's something called significance that, that's important. Somehow I take that meaning and then apply it to myself so there's something that's significant to me. The challenge is for most of us, many of us, when we do a Bible study, we jump straight to significance without bothering with the meaning. Right? So, so, so one of the ways you know you're doing that is if you read some scripture and you said, I got nothing out of it. Well, what do you mean by that? If, if you didn't get any meaning, didn't get anything of what the author intended means, then you weren't actually reading the scripture for what it actually meant to say. Does that make sense? You may not have found significance, and you guys remember over the summer that we, we applied this to Levit Leviticus 13. It's, it's the beautiful, holy instructions, deeply emotive, on what to do with a pussy sore in ancient Near East culture. It's in the Bible, man. You know, I just don't get anything out of it. Well, we had, to, we had to search out the meaning to understand there is actually significance that can apply to us. Okay, so 
the way we get to author's intent, though, is a lot of times we have to have context around the statement. Like, uh, like uh, this, the example I'd given was that the statement, I, right now I'm the coolest person in this room. See? So making assumptions based about the context here, right? I'm probably not actually the coolest person in the room, though I'm very cold <laughs> right now. I'm almost never cold. Should have worn lawn sleeves. But you, we need to find some other, you know, context clues. If I'm shivering, that might mean it's cold. Or if I'm strutting, it might be an ego issue, right, that I'm the coolest person in the room. Um, so when we look at context, we, we, what we do is we look at the story, language, history, and culture. I'll talk about more of those as we go along. But this is what we're going to apply to Philippians as we go, okay? And we're going to start right now. Okay, so if you want to write some notes down, you can't. I don't know. Because what here's the, the point of this, guys, is we want to let this, this, this book, Philippians, really talk to us about who we actually are as God's people. And if we're going to do that, we've got to take the meaning of it seriously. And to take, get the meaning of it seriously, we've got to enter into the mind of the author. And this is something I like to do because it's this imaginative exercise where you actually start to figure out, what did this guy mean to say? And what was he experiencing? And why did he say it? And all of a sudden we start to realize it's not just the Bible. Now we have a friend who's, who's, who's journeyed with Jesus and being the church that has advice and important instruction for us how to make it here on planet Earth as God's people. Okay. So I want to start, we're going to start, so we're going to, today is going to be all about context. Ready? Doing it anyway. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to start with language because this one's kind of easy. Language asks questions of what does that word mean, which we'll talk about as we're going a little more uh, granular way through Philippians. But the one thing I want to look at today is what's the genre you know, that, that genre is really important with Scripture. Have you read that, that psalm says, Why, O mountains, are you so jealous of Mount Zion? Have you ever read that and wondered if mountains actually have emotions? They don't, in case you're wondering. They're not thinking, feeling things. It's poetry. And poetry, the psalms are poetry, so they use imagery. So it's important for us to understand when we're Reading poetry, it's, this is not a literal thing. Or when Jesus says, you know, if, if your eye uh, offends you, pluck it out. He didn't mean that literally. Please don't do that. It's called hyperbole. So the genre there is like Jesus is making an exaggerated statement to make a point. So in this, with Philippians, we can figure out the genre of this right away. Because we see it starts at Paul and Timothy... To all God's holy people, from and to. And that it ends with these greetings, like bye. So, so we can see really quickly that this is a letter. Why is that important? Well, because there must be some reason that Paul and his buddy Timothy wrote to God's holy people. Usually we don't, read for, we don't write a letter for no reason. Usually we don't write a letter. Right? I mean, it's like these days, I don't even know if we have stamps and envelopes. I mean, you know, but, but just writing a letter. But usually there's a reason. So that already gives us a clue right away. Huh. There's a time in history 
when this guy Paul with his buddy Timothy chose to write to these people in Philippi. I wonder why. I wonder what was going on. So, we're already done with language. Easy. Done. Bam. Story. What's the story? Ask two questions. What just happened? In other words, did something just happen that made Paul want to write a letter? And then the larger story is what's the bigger story? We, we took it like this story that the Bible is this one story from beginning to end that holds together. Which, by the way, is one of the, reason, one of the reasons I believe in the Bible is it took thousands of years to write with multiple authors and multiple cultures, and it has a coherent storyline. How many of you guys enjoy group projects? Yeah, I hate group projects. I absolutely hate them, right? You always got the, the, the one guy who's the overachiever, the one guy who never shows up, the other one, you know, or he hands it in too late, all that kind of... This was a group project over, like, 2,000 plus years, and it held together? That's, ama- that's amazing. That's amazing. It must be actually recounting something that's actually happening. So we, we look, the whole story of Genesis to Revelation, Philippians fits about here. Okay, so it's just a piece, but it's part of the overall story. So what we're going to look at mostly today is like the New Testament context. And over time, we can, we can go back into the OT in the, in the larger uh, context with both Old Testament and New Testament. But here's one of the ways that we can figure out how, so it's a letter, how do you figure out the context, the story behind a letter? Guys, this is so stinking important, especially with all the, Paul wrote most of the New Testament, wrote 13 of these letters. And if we don't pay attention to this, sometimes it can feel like things are all over the place. You ever read through the New Testament and feel like it's all over the map? Well, it's because it's like you stumbled into a closet and somebody left a bunch of letters there from one person to another person, you don't know either of them. Oh, and it was about a thousand years, two thousand years ago. Oh, and by the way, from a different culture in a different language. So the Bible to read intelligently takes a bit of effort. Okay, which it's so worth. Is anything that's worthwhile something that doesn't take effort, right? Like without trying at all, I get really out of shape and grumpy and have poor health. Yay! <laughs> I don't have to try at all to do that. So here's how to get the context. We see it's from Paul and Timothy and this church in this city, Philippi. Something really fun you can do to find some context. Well, I don't know if you'd call it fun. I think it's fun. Is on your Bible app, just search the word Philippi. So if you're on your phone, try that right now. We're just going to look... Where are all the instances in the Bible that have the word Philippi in them? Because that might give us a little bit of context about this letter. Now, if you're, if you're there, you'll notice the first two references say Caesarea Philippi, right? So those are in the gospel. Those are not going to help us. You know why? It's not the same place. Okay, so how do you know that guy? Well, you could, if you read through the New Testament a little further, you'd understand it, but I'm just making it faster for today's purposes. Caesarea Philippi is in a different, different location entirely. Uh, the city of Philippi is over in Macedonia, which is Europe. And Caesarea Philippi is north uh, on the Mediterranean coast, north of 
Palestine. So but if you look down, there's, there's a few references that aren't in the book of Philippians. And what are those? Yeah, so Acts 16, 12, what else? Yeah, for, there's also Acts 26. And the first Thessalonians, Thessalonians 2, 2. Those are, those are pretty, pretty much the ones that are outside of the book of Philippians. That you, we can look and see, well, huh, I bet if I read those... I might get a little bit of information about Philippi, okay? We're going to do that right now, okay? Now, here's the deal. What's interesting is when you look at Acts 16, 12, you realize you're in the middle of a big story that lasts pretty much the whole chapter. Acts 16, 6 through 40. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read Acts 16, 6 through 40 out loud. But what you're going to do is be listening to it to think through, okay, Paul wrote a letter to these guys for some reason, and this is what happened to Paul the first time he's with these people. That makes sense? So on your paper or your phone or whatever, you want to make, write down something that you notice as we're listening to the story of what actually happened uh, the first time Paul was there. Okay, I'm reading it in NIV in case you're following that way. So it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia, went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And just a little bit of context, if you had a map in front of you, what Paul was doing is he's moving west and he's trying to go, he, he, he's already been just around the Mediterranean up into Galatia, at, that, that's kind of ish where Turkey is right now. And he's going further west and God's going, saying, don't go here, don't go there. And then he has a dream and says, go even further west to Macedonia. You're going to have to cross some water to do that. So after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once. By the way, when he says we, it's likely this is where Luke, the writer, joined him. Got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. Interesting. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listing was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, 
These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her, spirit, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and, and escorted them from the prison, requesting them, <laughs> requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. So I'll give you a minute if you have anything else you want to write down about the context. So here's the storyline 
what happened with Paul and the people in the city of Philippi before he wrote this letter. So just write a couple notes down. Okay, cool. And, of course, you can go back to Acts 16, reread it, think about it. Think, you know, there's all kinds of fascinating questions. Like, why didn't Paul tell him at first he was a Roman citizen? <laughs> and before he got beaten, you know, that would have worked out better for you, you know. Um, there's a lot of interesting, interesting questions and things going on here. Okay, so the other two references, I'm not going to read because they're so short. But the first one, Acts 20. Verse 6 shows that Paul later on returned to Philippi. And then we can see that when Paul wrote, so 1 Thessalonians is a letter. It's the first letter he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And he told them how bad his experience in Philippi was. Okay, so we know that, okay, he must have written that letter after he had his Philippian experience. We know that much. Now, we're not going to do this right now because it would take a really long time. But we noticed at the beginning of Acts 16 that Paul was called to Macedonia, which was like the country. And Philippi was in Macedonia. So if we searched in our phones for Macedonia, we'd get a bunch more information to see, oh, here's other things Paul did in Macedonia. Here, here's some stuff that was going on. And you can match that up in Acts and with Paul's letters and see something that looks like this. So if we just look at Acts 13 through 28, now you, you, this, this took me a while, okay? So I wouldn't expect you to do this in your personal stuff. This is also why we create these resources for you to be able to use. Um, that, that's from, from 48 AD um, is about when Paul first started doing missionary work in Acts 13, okay? So, which is fascinating because, yeah, we don't know exactly when he died, but uh, to 70 AD is a great way to end it because that's when Jerusalem was uh, destroyed um, and everything changed historically. So, Paul, we can see in, verse, in just Acts 13 and 14, just look at those two chapters, for about a year or so was the first time he went, very first time he went on a missionary journey, okay? And so, at the end of that, that's when he wrote Galatians. So what's fun is you start, when you start looking at this stuff, you start realizing this is a normal person who's doing stuff and he's writing letters to friends in cities where he had experiences as they're trying to follow Jesus in different circumstances each time. So then Paul goes on another missionary journey. He goes back to Antioch where he was sent from and from the years 50 to 52, for about two years he goes on a missionary journey. And what uh, happens then is during that time he writes... 1 Thessalonians, he writes 2 Thessalonians, and that's when he visited the Philippian church and founded it. It's during his second missionary journey, around 50-51 is our guess, um, about three years, three or four years after, he, two or three years after he'd started doing missionary stuff. So, then after Paul, Paul eventually leaves Philippi. And he goes on his third missionary journey, which is a four-year journey. And that's in Acts 18 through 21. 
and some stuff goes down then. He writes a letter to the Corinthians. Then he writes the second letter to the Corinthians about three years later. Then he writes Romans to the Romans, which, by the way, he hadn't been to Rome yet. And then he has two more visits to Philippi during this time. He takes off, comes back, visits some guys. Then he takes off and comes back and visits them again. So we're guessing around 57 or 58. So he started the church around 50, 51, and it was about seven years before he made it back for these second and third visits, which looked like happened in a year. A lot happens in a seven-year period, right? So this is a good thing to be thinking about. It's been a while since he's talked to these guys. Now, for the scholars among us, there's some who think that Paul might have been in prison in Ephesus. We can talk about that later. Uh, It's not worth going into right now. Um, So then, a couple years later, Paul gets thrown in prison, and he gets... he gets thrown in prison in Rome for a two-year period. During that time, it's fascinating that Paul's so productive when he finally has to sit still. Sometimes you wonder, did God just put Paul in time out because we need to get some stuff written down here, brother? He's like ADHD apostle. So he writes Ephesians, he writes Colossians and Uh, Philemon, and here he writes the letter to the Philippians. So how many years since Paul first started the church and when we think he might have written it? So there were 50 or 51. Almost, it could be as many as 12 years since what we read in Acts 16 to what he writes in his letter. That's kind of significant, isn't it? By the way, it makes me feel good about the book of Acts, by the way, because it's, Acts is 33 to 70. We're always like, why aren't more miracles happening? We're talking about a, a long period of time, actually. It's a 37-year 30, period of time. So I don't feel quite as bad. We, we, we're still not seeing the miracles that we see in Acts, but they're also not telling you they're bad meetings. They're lame meetings. The time that yeah, nobody showed up that night. They didn't write that down. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, um, so Philippians and Paul, it could have been, you know, I don't know, maybe three, four, five years since Paul had actually seen any of them face to face by the time he wrote this letter. So you could, we're kind of entering into Paul's headspace a little bit in the relational space of the Philippians here. So then after that, uh, Paul re- writes to Timothy here, then he writes Titus all the way back here, and then 2 Timothy. So if you ever want to look at, this stuff's available all different places. This is my little version I did to show where Philippians is. It'll be online. I always have the PDF right under the YouTube, uh, uh, not a podcast, what do you call it? A YouTube cast, I don't know, a video. Okay, (laughs) streaming, something. I've lived through a lot of technology changes, man, so it's hard to keep up with them. Okay, great, fun stuff. Okay, so history. History asks the question, what was going on in the world during this time? Now, where in the world do you find that? You guys, we have tons of access to a lot of good resources. The things I would suggest you use are those that are linked to the actual Bible apps you're using. How many know that you can get information saying anything you want on the World Wide Web? We could have Philippians was written by aliens who originally... Lived in, you know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? 
Source, it means everything. You've got to pay attention to your sources. So Uversion, and, and my favorite Bible notes right now are the New English Translation. The NET has lots and lots of notes. It's really, really helpful to learn some of the history behind this. But what's fascinating, to, uh, if we look at history, and I have books. If you want to borrow a book, call me. If you're actually going to read it, I'll, I'll lend it to you. Um, so we already determined that the letter is probably written about four or five years after Paul last saw these people face to face. Another thing is we see at the beginning of the letter, when we read it, Paul was in prison when he wrote the letter. Here's something that's a little bit more historical that, that's interesting. The way they did prison in those days was good luck if you want to eat, we're not feeding you. Isn't that rough? So the only, if you're in prison, you could literally starve to death if someone else isn't bringing you food. <laughs> and so that was Paul's deal. And so when we look at chapter 4 of the letter, it makes sense why Paul's so grateful to the Philippian church that all the way from Macedonia to Rome, they're sending gifts so he can eat. That makes sense, Right? He's really, really grateful. So when we get to chapter 4, that's going to make a lot of sense. It's like, oh yeah, thank you church from long, long ways away that you're taking care of me so I don't die. Another really important thing is Rome was in charge of most of the Western world. They dominated everything around the, uh, all around the Mediterranean Sea all the way over to Britain. I mean, they were in charge in the West. And Philippi, we read in Acts 16.12, was a prominent Roman town in the Roman province of Macedonia. It was mostly Romans and Macedonian Greeks, but there was a small Jewish community there. How do we know that? Well, the, the, yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm so excited. We knew there were Jews there because Paul was talking to them when it says Lydia was a God worshiper. What that often would mean, it was language in the New Testament to say that might have been a convert to Judaism. Maybe not originally a, a Jewish person. The other thing is that there must not have been at least 10 Jewish males to establish a synagogue. Paul, throughout all his journeys, the first place he'd go in any city is the synagogue. Why would he do that? Because they get, they're already reading the Bible he's going to refer to about Jesus. So they already have an idea what he's going to talk about. But others don't. But what's interesting is when they're going down to the river thinking there would be a place of prayer. Why? Because if there's no synagogue, there might be some Jews down praying by the river. And we'll start with those guys. And so Lydia, that first convert, must have at least been a converted Jew. That first started the church in um, Europe, by the way. Isn't this a cool thought? The first church in Europe, the first convert in Europe was this woman named Lydia. First convert in Europe, and it's the first church in Europe. Really cool idea. Okay, there we go. That's history. Now culture. Culture asks the question of what is normal. As they say, you know, if you ask a fish what water is, they're going to say, what's water? Right? It's just everywhere all the time. But culture asks the question, what's normal to the people at that time? And, and so uh, here are the few things that we can see also from some other books. There's a series called the Tyndale series that's really good with uh, short commentaries. I actually think you might be able to get to it 
No, you can get to InterVarsity for free through Bible Gateway. Um, so if you, if you scroll around in there, you can find some of their commentaries that say some of this. But here's what was really important to know about Philippi. Roman patriotism was, it was clearly a big deal there because they're one of the leading cities. And if you look back in Acts 16, the whole argument for why Paul and these guys are no good is because this doesn't fit what a Roman would do. So it was a very, it, 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 we have other historical sources that suggest to us that this is a really patriotic Roman town. Um, and proselytizing, in other words, the evangelism that Paul was doing in Roman cities was generally discouraged, but not necessarily illegal. But this is, that's likely why Paul and Silas were punished after they cast that demon out of the lady. Because, again, these are Jews, they're messing up the traditions that are not part of what Rome likes. And so the officials are like, uh-oh, that's trouble. I'm going to get in trouble with my bosses. I don't know, let's beat them. <laughs> Yikes, right? Okay. And also why they were terrified when they realized we just beat Roman citizens with no trial. That is a massive problem. If these guys want to take us down, they could. Okay, um, and here's another cool thing, is that in Macedonia, which both Philippi and Thessalonica are in, in uh, Macedonia, women played a, a prominent role, that it, which in the ancient Near East was not normal. N- women like put in the very back, uh, almost treated like property. But it said in Macedonia, women enjoyed a prominent role. They played a large part in affairs, received envoys, obtained concessions, uh, for them, for their, from their husbands, built temples, founded cities, engaged mercenaries, commanded armies, held fortress, uh, fortresses, and acted on occasion as regents or even co-rulers. And so it's fascinating to note that the church at Philippi was apparently comprised of a notable percentage of women, the first of which, Lydia, apparently her whole household, she may have been the first church leader in Europe. And we'll see throughout Romans at the end that it appears there are a number of female church leaders. Sometimes uh, the ancient Near East church gets a bad rap about how it treats women, but actually crazy forward thinking for their culture. Really, really offensive for their culture, actually, at the time. It's awesome. I love it. So, again, the whole point of this exercise is getting to the author's intended message to the original audience. Did we have to go through all of that to get the main idea? Probably not. But there are things we're not going to understand why they're there if we don't know the context. Does that make sense? It really helps us. And it helps us enter into the richness of why. Like just the phrase Paul says in in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say rejoice. Where was he? He's in prison where if these guys don't send him food, he dies. Paul says a little bit later, I am content in any and every circumstance. Through Christ I can do all things. I, I, it, it's so sad that his phrase, through Christ I can do all things, has been put on bumper stickers. It's like, well, you should be saying that from prison where you're starving to death. Because that's the context in which he wrote it. It wasn't like, so we could have something cool from Mardell's, though I love Mardell's, you know what I mean? It's great. But you know what I'm saying? 
Not just for, it's not for just a tchotchke to put on the wall, you know. It's like, we're going to have a better day when the temperature's better out, you know. Uh, he's saying, in prison, I can go without or I can have a lot. I've learned the secret of being content. Through Jesus, I can do anything. And, and so, here's a little summary of things I noticed. We, we, we know in the language, this is a letter from Paul in Timothy to a church in Philippi. That's the genre that we're looking at of the letter. We know that the story, that it was the Holy Spirit that led Paul to Philippi. Why is that important? He didn't have the greatest intro there, did he? Right? Because basically, it was cool that Lydia and her friends were the first church plant, but then it, it was a, both a very painful, but also highly miraculous beginning to the church. You ever wonder why God does things? Could you have like just done an earthquake before the beating? Right? You know what I mean? Could an earthquake without beating? Um, without the imprisonment? I don't know what to say about that. This is just what's happening. Rough interactions with the city government. Did you know the word gospel was something used? It was the same thing used when the Roman emperor would issue a statement. And because it comes to the Roman emperor, it's got to be good. It's got to be good news. So he'd have... People sent throughout the whole Roman Empire to say the gospel of the Roman emperor. It's a gospel. Evangelion. And so when Paul's saying the word gospel, he is taking the very political word they used to say the emperor who says great things is like, well, no, there's a new king in town, bro. His name is Jesus, and this is his gospel. So think about that for a second. There's a lot going on here. Because this is a patriotic, nationalistic city. But because that he was doing something unbecoming as a Roman citizen, the magistrates, without really even asking if he's a citizen, beat him. That's amazing if you think about it. I mean, you just go, how would, how would we react to that? Beating. I'm, right? I mean, already we're learning a lot just from this context, right? Then our history of the time Paul was in prison while he's writing the letter, it's four or five years since Paul was in Philippi, which means what he's talking about, he's getting news from his friends, and he's remembering people. Maybe there's some news he's getting that's like, you're doing what over there? He's going to talk about two women who are leaders, Yodia and Syntyche. He's like, you have to get along. Stop it. Get along with each other. A lot of times, remember, wasn't it cool how Anna read Romans 16 with all those names she couldn't say? It's easy to pass over that when we don't know what's going on, but that's almost one of the most important things in that letter. It's to see all the people, <laughs> all the people God was working through with Paul. Anna had been on her own reading Romans 16 as her devotional thing. And she came to me and John, and she goes, guys, read this. She gives us no context as to why this is important to her. And starts reading these names and crying. And Jen and I are like, okay. I mean, she just, and we're like, I don't know how to enter into this with you. You know, she goes, guys, wasn't that amazing? Yeah. And then when she explained, oh, yeah, these, all these different people from these different circumstances, absolutely beautiful. What was going on? 
So Paul's remembering people he had affection for. And that Rome is a superpower in all of history. Everybody's scared of Rome because they're not the nicest guys. If they don't like what you do, they may crucify you outside your city and let you hang there for everyone who walks in to let you know, here's what happens to you if you oppose us. And the culture of the time is a very nationalistic city. Rome doesn't love proselytizing. But women have a really significant role, not only in the city, but in the church. Okay, so here's the payoff. What are some insights? And these are questions for you to answer. What relationship do you think Paul had with that Philippian church? Considering all he'd gone through, his history with them. Let's just enter into his headspace. It's been a little time since he's been to see him, but he paid a pretty stiff price for these people. So what kind of relationship? So just jot a couple thoughts down. Another question, and you know, just ignore me if you're still working, but what kind of people were in the Philippian church, do you think? We know we had Lydia. What kind of dude do you think the Roman prison guard was? Do you think he was energetic about Jesus? Do you think he believed in miracles? <laughs> that Jesus could do anything? I wonder if he's the guy who stood up when everyone's discouraged. He goes, but guys, you remember. Like, yeah, we remember, we remember. Zach uh, Ripley had a brilliant thought. He said, what if when Paul had that dream and a vision of a Macedonian man, it was the Philippian jailer? Oh, did I give you goosebumps? How did these people think? What did they think about government? What did they think about their own lives? What did they think about Paul in the middle of all this? That'll affect how they read this letter, right? Here's some questions. What, what relationship did Paul have with the city of Philippi? He comes back. There's that guy. Remember we beat him and then we had to escort him out of the city when they, we requested him to leave. Went from beating a guy to saying, please leave, please leave. Said so it tried to appease him. Were, were, the, were the guys who sold, uh, were, were the servant girl as their slave, were they still there and annoyed? Did they have a new servant girl who was doing fortune telling? And they're like, Stay away from those guys. And what kind of people were in the city of Philippi? What kind of people that were just a crowd said, yeah, who's that guy? I don't know, let's beat him. How did they think? And what do you think they thought of Paul when he shows up in the city again? Okay, so... The, the, all these questions, all this stuff, it will be online. Again, just go to the YouTube and the, these, these, uh, the PDF version of all these slides will be on here. So here's your homework for, for next week. So reread your notes sometime this week and then sit and read Philippians all the way through in one sitting. Why? Because it's a letter. We picked a short one. We could have done Romans. <laughs> this is only four chapters. It's only four chapters. 
Just have this context kind of rolling in your head a little bit. And then read it. And say, ah. And just notice stuff. Notice stuff. Now, if you want extra credit. <laughs> again, Bill Neff's always said we should have a Christian of the Year competition. <laughs> That's got all kinds of ambiguity if you win it, right? right? What does that mean? But I love it. I love the idea. Um, Try outlining the letter because what we're trying to get to is, again, why did Paul write this? What was Paul trying to say? Because he says a lot of stuff about being church. And this church could have been, by by this time, almost 10 years old. We don't know. And he hadn't seen them for a while. And there's some good stuff going on. There's stuff that's not going on so well. All right. Sound good? All right. Let's stand. We'll pray. Lord, in the words of Paul and Philippians, I pray for us that, Lord, you would cause us to be in love with you in each other, that our love would abound more and more in all wisdom and insight so that, so that we'll know what the will of God is, that it's your love that opens our eyes to be able to know what you're saying and what you're doing. And might live a life that's got this fruit of righteousness that looks and tastes and smells like Jesus. To the glory of God the Father, we pray. Amen and amen. (laughs) Thank you, Fusion. (laughs) If you've already signed up for the missions lunch, you can go to the fireside room right now. If you've already signed up,